Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, the sound you hear is a buzz saw ripping through a painting of George Washington chopping down cherry trees. It's time for Professor Buzzkill. Busting myths and taking names. Tis the season, Buzzkillers, the end of December, early January, for many religions to have their major religious holidays. And most of you Buzzkillers already know that most Christian churches celebrate Christmas over a period of 12 days. Depending on the denomination, it lasts from December 25th to January 5th or December 26th to January 26th. Now, there are lots of theological reasons for celebrating 12 days of Christmas, but we're here to talk about something a little less lofty than that. We're going to bust that email myth about the song, The 12 Days of Christmas, that your nut job uncle sends you every year and sends it to everyone else he could think of. We know you're not gullible enough to buy into his paranoid, persecution-complex-fueled rant about the song really being a way to teach oppressed Catholic children their catechism, their religious doctrine in secret. But the whole story is fascinating in its own right, and lots of people seem to believe it. So let's talk about it. You know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas, it's often used as a carol. Twelve drummers drumming, eleven pipers piping, ten lords a-leaping, nine ladies dancing, and on down to a partridge in a pear tree. Sounds like a great party that I should have been invited to, but wasn't. Well, Like the myth we busted recently about the religious meaning and origin, and I'm putting those in air quotes, of the candy cane, the original meaning of the 12 days of Christmas has been forcefully misinterpreted and reinterpreted like this. The song, according to the story, was a secret way to teach young Catholics about their faith in Protestant England during the 16th to the 19th centuries. Now, again, you'll see this most commonly in the email that your nutty uncle forwards every year. And here's a long quote from it. I want to quote it exactly so you get the the sense of the paranoia and the craziness. Here it is. Catholics in England during the period 1558 to 1829, when Parliament finally emancipated Catholics in England, were prohibited from any practice of their faith by law, private or public. It was a crime to be Catholic. The Twelve Days of Christmas was written in England as one of the catechism songs to help young Catholics learn the tenets of their faith, a memory aid, when to be caught with anything in writing indicating adherence to the Catholic faith could not only get you imprisoned, but could get you executed. The song's gifts are hidden meanings to the teachings of the faith, 
the true love mentioned in the song doesn't refer to any earthly suitor. It refers to God himself. The me who receives the presence refers to every baptized person. The partridge in a pear tree is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The other gifts in the song symbolize the following. Two turtle doves equals the Old and New Testament. Three French hens is faith, hope, and charity, the theological virtues. Four calling birds is the four gospels or the four evangelists. Five golden rings is the first five books of the Old Testament. Six geese laying is code for the six days of creation. Seven swans a-swimming equals the seven sacraments. Eight maids a-milking is the eight beatitudes mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. Nine ladies dancing is the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ten lords a-leaping equals the Ten Commandments. Eleven pipers piping equals the eleven faithful apostles. And twelve drummers drumming equals the twelve points of doctrine in the Apostles' Creed. Now that's a quote, that's a long quote, right, where I started with Catholics in England during the period 1550, 1829, all the way to listing these ideas of what the actual gifts and the gift numbers meant. That's a quote directly from the email. That's not what we're arguing here, Buzzkillers. We're not promoting <laughs> this myth. Having said all that, let me restress. The idea in the email is that the restrictions placed on Catholics in Protestant England were so severe that Catholic children had to be taught in secret ways, such as through songs or poems that seemed to be about something else, something harmless, but actually had hidden references to Catholic doctrine. But you know what I'm going to say, buzzkillers? There's no historical evidence of this whatsoever. And if that were all there is to this story, I wouldn't waste your time with it. The thing is, this myth is so infuriating on so many levels for a historian that I just can't help myself. Let's first tackle the idea that before Catholic emancipation was enacted by Parliament in 1829, Catholics in England were in danger of being executed in especially gruesome ways if they happened to accidentally mention some aspect of Catholic teaching. Bloody and nasty execution is one of the punishments mentioned in the email message that, uh, that's been plaguing the internet for years. The English Reformation, which ended the state's relationship to the Catholic Church, began in the early 1530s, but it took a long time to become complete. Arguably, it wasn't completed until 1558 under Queen Elizabeth I. And the whole thing was extremely complicated. Then, for the next two centuries, the restrictions on Catholics and the extent to which those restrictions were enforced waxed and waned considerably. Catholics often went through long periods with hardly any serious restrictions or punishments at all, and these specific legal restrictions were gradually eliminated over the centuries. By the time of Catholic emancipation in 1829, which is mentioned in your nutty uncle's email, the only significant restriction on English Catholics that was still enforced was that they couldn't sit in the House of Commons. That was eliminated by the 1829 Act, which also repealed several other restrictions that were technically still on the books but had been ignored for a long, long time. Okay, enough historicizing about English history, Professor. I can hear you saying, get back to the song. In the first place, there's no historical evidence whatsoever that the 12 days of Christmas served a secret purpose for Catholics. But if it had served a secret purpose, Professor, I hear you saying, there wouldn't be any written evidence. It was a secret. Well, the problem with that argument is that there was plenty of written Catholic 
doctrinal material floating around and between English Catholics more or less freely since 1715, and even before that. And lots of that evidence survives. But perhaps the strongest evidence that the 12 days of Christmas wasn't a secret Catholic teaching code, Catholic teaching aid, lies in the connections between the gifts mentioned in the song and the corresponding religious elements in the urban legends flying around the internet. Nothing that the 12 days of Christmas gifts are supposed to refer to are distinctly Catholic, as would be different from Anglican Protestantism. Let me remind you of what that super secret code that only Catholics were supposed to know said. The partridge in the pear tree, the one partridge, was the Christian God. The two turtle doves, the Old and New Testament. Three French hens, faith, hope, and charity. Four calling birds, the four gospels, or the four evangelists, depending on which version of the email you read. Five gold rings, the first five books of the Old Testament. Six geese laying, the six days of, of creation. Seven swans a-swimming, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are the seven sacraments. Eight maids a-milking, the eight beatitudes mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount. Nine ladies dancing, the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Ten lords leaping was supposed to be the Ten Commandments, eleven pipers piping, the eleven apostles, and twelve drummers drumming, the twelve points of doctrine in the Apostles' Creed. The thing is, buzzkillers, Catholics and Protestants in England all believed in exactly these same things. All these things are identical for both denominations, at least in terms of what they're called. Although each denomination used a different version of the Bible, both versions contain these things. Having to cover up, quote, the Old and New Testaments, unquote, with a secret code of, quote, two turtle doves wouldn't be specific enough. Any Catholic child caught learning that there was an Old and New Testament would be indistinguishable from a Protestant child learning the same thing. It'd be very hard for the authorities to figure out which kid's head to chop off for being religiously impure. Three French hens refer to the Catholic version of the Holy Trinity, or if a partridge in a pear tree, the one partridge in a pear tree, was code for the Pope, then this story might have something. But you don't exactly have to be a code breaker to realize that four calling birds referring to the four Gospels isn't going to fool anyone. It'd be as if JFK's code word for missiles during the Cuban Missile Crisis was quote, long-range rockets. Even Baldy Khrushchev would have seen right through that one. The Twelve Days of Christmas is a great song, and it's fun to sing, especially with kids. But it's just that, and that alone, a song. So where in the world did we get this nutty story that your paranoid relatives spread every year? Apparently, Hugh McKellar, a Canadian teacher and librarian with a passion for hymns, published an article entitled, how to Decode the Twelve Days of Christmas in 1979, in which he laid out the basics of the Twelve Days of Christmas as secret Catholic teaching idea. But he only suggested the notion that the Twelve Days of Christmas gifts might be used to teach children about the most important parts of Christian thinking. This kernel of McKellar's idea was watered by Father Hal Stockard, who wrote an article along similar lines in 1982. But the myth really flowered when another priest, Father James Gilhooley, published an article with the absolutely yummy, grassy knoll conspiracy-sounding title, Those Wily Jesuits. If you think the 12 Days of Christmas is just a song, 
Think again. It appeared in the Catholic magazine Our Sunday Visitor in 1992. Note the year. Note the year because you know what else happened in the early 1990s buzzkillers. The internet and email happened. And the story spread like, well, a fantastically improbable historical myth over the internet. But that's all it is, a myth. It's a myth unless, that is, you want to hold a wild and boozy 12 days of Christmas party complete with drummers drumming, pipers piping, lords a-leaping, and ladies dancing. Just make sure to invite the one and only partridge in a pear tree nesting in your heart. That's me, buzzkillers. I'll bring the French hens and the turtle doves, and I'll keep my mouth shut about this whole thing being a myth. Talk to you next week. Cast.